Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter and flying solo for this episode. But hey, we got a terrific guest lined up. Robert Barons from Good Bull Hunting, Texas A&M Insider, going to join the show to talk a little Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, feuding, fussing. We got some quarterback commitment news in the SEC, the Florida Gators. Landed them a much-needed and interesting receiver out of the transfer portal, so we're going to talk about that. We've got uh, some trash talk from one of these PGA golfers and hey, a little update on SEC future schedulings. That's going to be the big topic there when uh, the, the spring meetings occur next week in Destin, Florida. So all that on this episode of the show, but let's start with this. I We always love to start with a little viral clip or video if we got it. And, you know, full transparency, I don't follow golf that much. I'll, I play a little. I drink a lot more when I'm out there than I do anything else. But <laughs> I got no idea the backstory here that this guy, uh, Justin Thomas, apparently just won a tournament, was doing the interviews after the, the event and asked about winning the, I think it was the PGA Championship is what it's called. And he threw some shade at old Jimbo. So let's kick it over to Justin Thomas, who I have to assume is an Alabama grad based on these comments. Without asking an Alabama-related question, uh, Nick Saban has a 24-hour rule. Mm -hmm. How long is the Justin Thomas celebrate the PGA Championship rule? Yeah, I got a 24-hour rule. Um, Yeah, maybe I'm not sure what Jimbo Fisher's rule is, but I guess (laughs) he's got to win something first before he figures out his rule. So um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing playing next week so we'll enjoy it but at the same time you know we're in a heart we're in the middle of a very very big stretch of this season so um all right so hey a nice little dig there at Jimbo Fisher from Justin Thomas but it doesn't completely make sense because hell there's only five coaches actively coaching a division one football that have won a national championship Jimbo Fisher is on that list Texas A&M beat Alabama Last year, I know they didn't live up to the hype. We all seen the eight and four jokes and everything, but hmm, it's I shake my head a little bit here when people say Jimbo's not won anything. When uh, hell, he's one of the more accomplished coaches in the sport. Now, that doesn't mean he's uh, can't be criticized because we recently had Dave Bar two on the show. CFB Matrix, go back and check that one out if you missed it. Jimbo Fisher, one of the lowest graded coaches at the Power Five level last season, so. Hey, we can critique the guy, but just don't say he's not won anything because that's pretty far from the truth. And hell, he just whipped Nick Saban in recruiting too. And that's why there's all this feuding between the two that we're going to talk with Robert Barons about here in a minute. But, you know, the big topic here in the SEC, looking ahead to next week's spring meetings, Cousin Shane scheduled to be on the next episode. He's working, he's walking, he's a busy man. He's actually in the middle of a move too. So, Uh, He says he's going to be on the next episode. We'll hold it to him. But that's kind of what we're going to talk about. We're going to go a little bit deeper dive on these future SEC schedulings. But I want to give a shout out to uh, Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated. Read an article he put out here on Tuesday morning. I highly recommend uh, everybody go check it out. But uh, according to Ross, who's one of the best insiders in the uh, SEC, the conference is going to be essentially down to two scheduling models. 
here next week in Destin that they're going to decide upon. Now, when it comes to the scheduling models, there's a lot to work out. And the biggest issue, moving aside from just the scheduling, the SEC has got to figure out whether they want to stick at eight conference games annually or they want to move to nine. Now, I think, you know, listeners of this show know I'm a big proponent of the nine-game schedule and everything it does for you, but there are little hiccups in it. Uh, obviously, if you're having nine conference games annually, harder to make a bowl game, and potentially the biggest obstacle, some teams are going to have five SEC home games while others are only going to have four SEC home games. That's the nature of having a uh, nine-game conference slate. You're going to have to work around that. So in the nine-game conference schedule format, of course, you'd have the three permanent rivals, six rotating. That's what we've been discussing all offseason. But there is some programs that want to stay at eight, eight conference games annually with only one permanent rivalry. You rotate the other seven, and you'd still be able to go through a, a conference, the entire conference here in a two-year cycle. So that that's a big issue that we're going to have to decide down at Destin. Hopefully they, they iron out the details of it. But, again, I, th I think we're going to go on a lot deeper dive with this topic with Cousin Shane on the next episode of the show. But here's one way to look at this. Because I, I understand people are going to say, well, that's not fair. You can't have some teams with five SEC home games, others with four. I think there's a real opportunity there to, you know, make the SEC a little bit more competitive. And here's a perfect example that I thought of today leading up to the show. Imagine this is a season where Alabama's got only four SEC home games and Texas A&M, Arkansas, Ole Miss, you know, maybe they're one of the ones that has five SEC home games, including, of course, hosting the Crimson Tide. Maybe that gives you the edge one year you need. In the East, you know, we can flip it that way too. Everybody thinks Georgia's just going to run through the East. What if this is a year where Georgia's only got four SEC home games? And hell, it may be a Florida year where they may really only have three games in Athens. Whereas Kentucky, this may be a year they get five SEC home games. Or Tennessee. And, you know, it, it would just make, I, I think it would help create some unique challenges for certain programs. Now, again, you'd flip it the next year and Georgia's got five home games and Alabama's got five, I understand. But, you know, that little uniqueness, that's what makes college football great. And special seasons come together for certain foes. And, hell, you know, just because you only got four SEC home games doesn't mean you're not going to win the conference. You know, the special teams – Think back LSU 2019, the, the rugged schedule they had to go through. They won at Texas. They had to beat Ohio State and Clemson. They had to win at Alabama. Just because you got to go on the road doesn't mean it's a guaranteed loss. A lot of times that makes your team tougher. And, hell, when, when LSU get, that year got to the college football playoff, there was no one, no one in hell was going to slow down Joe Burrow and company. So, I don't know. I still we'll, – we'll see what Cousin Shane has to say. We'll see what comes out of Destin. But – I think we got to go nine-game conference schedule. It's going to make, you know, we get rid of some of these cupcakes. Uh, we get more action. And this is all, a lot of it's about TV revenue and, and more games. But, you know, really it's for the fans too because there's so many years where, you know, I'm looking at the season tickets for this team or that team. And, 
You got one or two games to look forward to. We got to do away with that. And hell, even if, uh, you know, we're talking again, some teams may only have four SEC home games in a year. Maybe that's a South Carolina. Maybe that's a Florida. Maybe that's a Kentucky. I throw them out because they've got elite non-conference permanent opponents. Maybe the years where Florida only has four SEC home games, you throw in Florida State. You, you make sure the league office makes sure whenever Florida State is supposed to come to Gainesville, maybe that's the year Florida doesn't quite get as many home games as, the, as some of the others. Maybe you do the same thing with the Kentucky. You only, you only got four SEC home games this year. We'll put that on the same year you host Louisville. And same thing, South Carolina Clemson. So I understand all sides of this. We've got to create fairness. But, hell, college football is not necessarily based on fairness. And uh, we all know that after Saban's viral comments over the, uh, over the, the last couple of weeks. So, you know, I cannot wait to see how this plays out, giving us a lot to talk about here. But still, but unless I hear a more compelling case for staying at an eight-game conference schedule, and that's another thing. If we stay at eight and we only got one permanent rival, you know, we're going to lose. I wouldn't imagine we're going to lose Georgia-Florida, but we'll lose Georgia-Auburn. We'll lose Tennessee-Alabama. Uh, there's a lot of good rivals. We'll probably lose Tennessee-Kentucky games like this. That mean something to a lot of people. Uh, whereas the three permanents, you get to keep a lot of these traditional games. So uh, here's to hoping they stick to a nine-game SEC schedule. Now, next on the docket, real quick, let's kick it on down to Tuscaloosa. With them, Alabama Crimson Tide picked up an interesting commitment on Tuesday. Eli Holstein, four-star quarterback out of the state of Louisiana, and interestingly enough, a former Texas A&M commit. Uh-oh. <laughs> that b bad blood keeps on brewing between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. But he has commit to Alabama. He's the number eight quarterback prospect in the country, a top 60 overall prospect in the 2023 class. And, you know, I don't want to – you know, it's his moment, Holstein's moment. You know, let's hope he's a future star for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But naturally, what I immediately think of as – do many others, and, and why this is important around the SEC and in Austin, Texas. Arch Manning, long thought to be uh, the top target there for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Does this mean Arch isn't going to Tuscaloosa? I, you know, everybody's naturally making that assumption, but I don't think that's, going, that's based on any real intel. Arch Manning is uh, scheduled to visit Tuscaloosa in early June. You know, if he makes that trip, clearly he's still interested in the Crimson Tide, and I have heard behind the scenes that Nick Saban has taken the lead on recruiting Arch Manning, and I think the Manning family is uh, obviously impressed with uh, Nick Saban's pitch. Now, again, maybe Alabama got tired of waiting around for Arch Manning, but that doesn't make a ton of sense to me considering that, uh, again, he is scheduled to visit in early June. So would they really – Tell Arch he needs to make this uh, decision before a scheduled visit. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I still think Alabama is going to be recruiting Arch Manning. But, of course, if you're a Georgia Bulldog, if you're a Texas Longhorn, you have got to love this news because all of a sudden you can pitch to Arch, hey, you truly are our number one man. Nick Saban 
may have told you that, but hell, he's taking another quarterback. We're not even discussing anything with any quarterbacks, and that would be my pitch by Steve Sarkeesian or Kirby Smart. So we'll see where the dominoes go here with uh, Eli Holstein, one of the top quarterback prospects in the country. And, and again, hell, maybe he's uh, better than Arch Manning. I don't know. <laughs> Arch Manning, is, at this point, he's all hype until he gets to college and he does it. I, I wish them both well, but you know, Alabama fans should be happy. They got uh, Eli Holstein here, solid prospect. Again, a top 60 overall recruit in the country, number eight overall quarterback prospect. He's now a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, next, let's kick it on down to Gainesville real quick. Where one of the biggest issues there for the Florida Gators this spring, something Billy Napier hinted at time and time again, receiver issue, depth in particular. Well, the Gators landed Ricky Pershaw from Arizona State. He was uh, Arizona State's leading receiver last year in every statistical category. Receptions, 48. Receiving yards, 580. And receiving touchdowns with four. And went back, uh, he was a third-year sophomore last season for Arizona State. So he's got multiple seasons to play. And, of course, uh, I'm sure Florida fans know this. Maybe some others in the SEC don't. Billy Napier, before he was a Louisiana's head coach, he was the uh, offensive coordinator and I believe receivers coach at Arizona State. So he's got, uh, you know, a little backstory here. He's got a little relationship with uh, Ricky Pershall here. And I, I went back and watched uh, some of his highlights. I haven't watched much Arizona State football, but, you know, it looks like a big-time performer here that could certainly help the Florida Gators. A l- little bit bigger of a target, very long arms, uh, deceptively fast type prospect. It almost looks like a tight end. and. I don't want to say he's going to be a tight end for the Florida Gators because I have no idea, but that is a position where the Gators were down to one healthy body. So I could see this Pershaw being more of an H-back, play receiver, tight end, a little bit of everything in Billy Napier's offense. And, and again, given his previous relationship that he had with Billy Napier, they know what they're getting in Arizona State's leading receiver here. So this is a really nice pickup for the Florida Gators and someone that should factor in immediately with the team next season. But all right, hey, I've held off long enough. Let's kick it over to our interview with Robert Behrens, the managing editor of Good Bull Hunting over at SB Nation. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by Robert Behrens, friend of the show, who's been on the show once before, and of course he covers the Texas A&M Aggies, for good bull hunting of SB Nation. He's the managing editor over there, and you got to give Robert a follow on Twitter at RCB05, where truly, Robert, you are one of the most uh, entertaining Twitter feeds out there. So I, I cannot thank you enough for joining me here. Absolutely, man. Glad to waste some time in the offseason with you. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, the hottest topic, not only in the SEC, but really – in all of college football, this back and forth between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, we'll, we'll get to Fisher in just a second, but what was your initial thoughts, Robert, when you heard or saw the tweet, you know, that uh, Nick Saban was out here calling A&M out, Jimbo, and, and essentially said, you know what, he did say A&M's, you know, paid every single player on in their recruiting class. 
I mean, overall, I just kind of wonder, like, you know, where this is coming from with Saban, uh, because, you know, we just heard him uh, just in, in recent weeks talking about how he wants more more parity in college football, and now he's calling out A&M, and he's saying that A&M's buying players, and, you know, this is something that not every school can do. But Nick didn't have any problem when Alabama's, you know, pumping millions of dollars into facilities upgrades to, to the real players there. He didn't have a problem when Alabama has a bigger staff than any other program in college football to lure players there and to give resources that players want. Um, and so I don't understand why all of a sudden when that money is just going directly to players instead of to all these other ancillary benefits, why that's suddenly a huge issue because college football has always been about the has and the have nots. And if anything, you know, A&M from a program su- success perspective has been a have not. So if you want parity, like isn't a program that just got their first ever number one recruiting class, more parity isn't the first, you know, non Alabama and Georgia team to have a number one class since 2012, more parity. Um, and so as Jimbo said, it's you know, as much as Saban is trying to make this sound like he's worried about what's good for the game it sounds more like sour grapes of what's not good for Nick Saban. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you see all these anonymous uh, articles. That that certainly seems to be people that know Nick, people that know Jimbo saying, hey, this is a guy that hates to even finish second, which he did. <laughs> the Alabama finished second, of course, in the country. They finished second in recruiting to Texas A&M. This is a guy that seriously, uh, he cannot handle losing. So, Right after that, of course, Jimbo Fisher. I mean, this was like the the most <laughs> incredible press conference I've ever seen. It was impromptu, not even scheduled, but he had to address those uh, allegations. What was your response right after Jimbo just, uh, you know, dropped the mic there on, on Nick Saban in Alabama? Um, I think myself, just like everybody else, initially you're kind of just shell-shocked because you're not used to hearing coaches be – that direct and I mean, and, you know, basically say what, what all like all the fans and everyone else is thinking. Um, so, I mean, just from that perspective alone, I mean, I kind of loved it because we rag on coaches so often for, you know, not really giving us information for just kind of being generic and giving coach speak because they don't want to be controversial. So for Jimbo to, I mean, really, he just went no holds barred and he just like spilled the tea. Um, I mean, it was really refreshing and it, it was, it was fun to see, you know, even just as a college football fan in general, uh, but certainly as an A&M fan, um, it's great to see Jim Obis stick up for the program um, and, you know, basically just fight fire with fire that if Saban is going to be really reckless and throwing around allegations, then A&M and, and Jimbo are going to be, uh, you know, just as aggressive right back at him. And if nothing else, it's, you know, normally May is like one of the most boring, uneventful times of, the off season. So it's uh, given us all <laughs> a lot of entertainment, if nothing else. Yeah, no doubt, Robert. And, and right around the corner, we got SEC spring meetings and, and normally, you know, they're pretty tame. They're pretty mild. They're not that interesting, but I don't know about you, buddy, but you know, if the SEC network wants to stream this thing, hell I'd, I'd even pay for pay-per-view if they want to, you know, you know, put it in the, the moment Jimbo and Nick come into the same room. I mean, that's, that's must see TV at the moment. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely putting a lot of uh, interest in the stuff that normally even us hardcore fans 
kind of gloss over this time of year. So I think, yeah, between media days and the meetings, and then, of course, that rematch coming up on October 8th, there's going to be no shortage of uh, some really interesting uh, interactions with Jimbo and Nick throughout the next few months. Now, this may have already been the case. But, you know, let me know what you think, Robert. But, you know, with, with Texas coming into the SEC, I think everyone was thinking, oh, okay, now here's A&M's main, main rival, you know, in football back in the SEC. But, you know, following this last week, following this last year of, of just kind of the battles on the field and in, on the recruiting trail, what's the sense from Aggie fans? Is, is Alabama now – the number one rival in the SEC for the Texas A&M Aggies? Um, I will say with Texas coming in, I think that's probably still not going to be the case um, because once Texas is here, as much as obviously beating Bama is always going to be high and everyone's list because if you beat Bama, you probably have a decent chance at making some serious noise in the SEC. Um, you know, that Texas rivalry has so much history. And, you know, you see on Twitter to this day, even though A&M and Texas – haven't played each other since 2011. I mean, the two teams and the two fan bases in particular are just constantly comparing themselves to one another. And I'm just as guilty of it as anybody. Um, just because it's, I mean, it's, it's fun to serve the pot. And I, I probably have, you know, outside of Aggies, I think Longhorns is probably like my second, you know, biggest fan base that uh, I have that follows me. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of history there. That's not going to go away. Um, and that said, you know, as far as the A&M Alabama rivalry, I think until the past you know nine months, that probably was a very one-sided affair. That maybe A&M fans thought like it was a rivalry, but probably only because every school thinks that they're rivals with Alabama because everyone hates Alabama because they're jealous of Alabama. Um, but maybe now between you know it started about this time last year with Jimbo you know, claiming that he was going to beat Saban's ass while he was still there. And then Saban saying, saying, what, in golf? And then, of course, Jimbo followed up on it and, and made good on his promise. And then you had, you know, and even going back to on signing day, you know, Jimbo kind of went off on his signing day press conference, too, uh, based on comments from some of this NIL stuff. And now it's just blown up even more uh, with comments in these recent days. So, Definitely, I think that's a rivalry that, even though it was already going to be competitive this year, because I think both teams are going to be really good, uh, it adds some extra spice to it, without a doubt. Yeah, and so now everybody in college football, not just the SEC, I know A&M fans and Alabama fans had already circled that October 8th trip to Tuscaloosa. Um, and now, like I said, the entire college football world is going to be descending and, and keeping an eye on that game. i got to imagine – College game days already making their plans to to cover that game. I know it's uh, you know it, it may be a little too far to to look out, but this is going to be the most anticipated Texas A and M game since when, in your opinion? I would say probably since uh, the game against Alabama back in 2013, which you know, coincidentally, it was. Once again, like the year after A&M had knocked off Alabama in 2012, of course that game was it was you know two top five teams. It was Johnny Manziel uh, in his you know following up on his Heisman campaign, um, and you know there's been a few other games since then where it's like maybe you you've had a like two top ten teams, but I think from a national perspective, 
this probably will be the biggest microscope on A&M since that 2013 game. And of course, you know, that's all, that's all assuming that uh, you're looking at undefeated teams by then. I think, you know, A&M has, I think it's five games before that. So, and as we saw last year, you know, even against, you know, the Mississippi States and Arkansas, there's nothing to guarantee in the SEC. So, <laughs> highly anticipated matchup rankings wise, but either way with this, uh, Jimbo and Saban feud, it should be fun no matter what the records are. Now, any chance, Robert, that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I know the expectations are already high in College Station. You know, they're trying to win the West, trying to win the SEC. But any chance that, uh, you know, this offseason with all these allegations and all that uh, fuels this Texas A&M team to be even better than they would have been? Because, I mean, I've seen Anaya Smith come out. You know, clearly, we've seen Jimbo, uh, you know, hitting – uh, you know, the battle cry, so to speak. So do you think there's a chance any of this off-season drama motivates the Aggies on the field this season? Um, I think it could um, because, you know, players and coaches for an edge, and those guys are highly competitive, highly motivated, so they're always trying to find something to fuel themselves to do even more. Um, and Adam has faced a lot of criticism this off-season, uh, be it from you know, when they backed out of the bowl game because of COVID or then going to the number one recruiting class and people saying that, you know, they essentially just bought that recruiting class. Um, I think there's been a lot of external criticism and it may have kind of galvanized that, that team and that program in kind of an us against the world mentality. Um, now granted, you know, you can argue how much all that stuff is really that important at the end of the day. Um, because at the end of the day, it's more about, it's about coaching and it's about talent. Uh, but the good news is Adam should already have both of those things. And hopefully you've got a lot of good in the right mindset and, uh, out there to prove a lot of people wrong. Now, recently over at uh, good bull hunting, you wrote about, uh, you know, everybody wants to talk about pods. If, that, if that's what we're going to call them, but essentially what we're talking about, of course, everybody knows by now, you know, a couple three permanent rivals is kind of what we're, it seems like we're trending towards. That's not official by any means, but if it, if the league does go to three permanent rivals, you listed out Arkansas, LSU, and Texas as three for the Aggies. Is that the way you want to see it? Or is that just the way you kind of think it's going to go? I mean, if I had my preference, that would be who A&M would play. Cause I think you know, Texas and Arkansas are both, no-brainers because you've got such history with those two programs even going back to the old Southwest Conference days. Um, and then LSU, I would say, is the closest thing A&M has had to a like natural, legit rivalry in the SEC because those teams you know, did play a fair amount even going back in like, the like 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, and then you know, obviously the game was played on rivalry weekend. The biggest thing that was holding it back was uh, – the fact that in Kevin Sumlin's tenure, A&M never won against LSU. Uh, and obviously that's, uh, that's changed a little bit under Jimbo. They've gone two and two against LSU. Um, but I think just both historically and geographically, those are easily the three teams that make the most sense for A&M to, to play on an annual basis going forward. And then last thing for you, Robert, I really appreciate you taking some time here, but uh, you know, we haven't caught up with you since, um, uh, since spring practice. So just wanted to get your thoughts on, um, 
the quarterback competition. I, you know, clearly no one's going to win it here in the summer. They're going to wait till training camp. But you got the transfer, Max Johnson. Of course, you got Haynes King, who was the starter last year before he went down. And then, uh, you know, I keep hearing great things about the the five-star freshman, Connor Weigman. Uh, how's this thing looking, and who do you think will be the starter come opening weekend? I think at this point, it truly is a legit three-person race. That said, I do feel like the dynamics have shifted, at least from what I thought it was before spring ball. Um, going into the spring, I thought that Haynes King was the clear front runner. I thought Max Johnson, just because he's a veteran guy who has a lot of SEC playing experience, would play a role. And from the very beginning, I, I said I don't count out you know, Wegman because that guy has all the talent in the world. And so if he can, can come in and you know, coming in in January, he gets the full spring, the full summer, just kind of you never know what will happen. Um, but after the spring game, which you know, I do caution everyone, don't try to read too much into the spring game because um, we've all done that at our own peril. And, you know, d- d- just look at a Jai Hall for Alabama last year. Um, but Max Johnson really impressed me, and I thought he played the best out of the three. And I'll also say that Wegman, while maybe he didn't look quite as good, he didn't look like a guy who just flat out wasn't ready. He didn't look like a guy that you watch and said, okay, he needs to have a redshirt season. So as those guys progress and they're still learning the system and they're going through the program, I truly would not count out uh, any of the three, you know, even the true freshmen in that race. So that's, and that's going to be really interesting just because of the way A&M's roster is built. They're like, they are ready to contend at pretty much every other position and quarterback. That's just where, you know, all due respect to Zach Calzada, um, but quarterback play was A&M's Achilles heel in 2021. And so that's something that if they can solve that in 2022, no matter which of those three guys it is, I think, you know, that's what could move this team from an eight and four team to potentially 10 and two, 11 and one and contending for the SEC. Yeah. And the good news with that, like you said, is with it being a loaded room and a close call, you got Sam Houston and Appalachian state right out the gate. So it's not like you got some big, non-conference game that you that you have to have your guy I mean you want your guy by the opener but still you got two games to kind of figure out before Miami comes to town you know what yeah absolutely and that's as much as everyone rags on um SEC schools and A&M in particular about uh scheduling that that's kind of that's the benefit of it is that you can have those kind of games to get your feet wet especially breaking in a new QB and just kind of figure some things out before um, yeah, you know, Miami coming to town and that'll be, I think if, you know, our first big test, absolutely. Because from what I'm hearing with Mario Cristobal and the staff that he's put together there and, you know, all the activity they've had in the transfer portal, uh, you know, there's a good chance that they could be back to being a pretty salty team as well. So that's not something that A&M can overlook. All right. Some outstanding stuff from Robert Barons. Again, give him a follow at RCB05 and you can find that in the show notes and check out all his work at Good Bull Hunting, part of the SB Nation Networks. Robert, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks and gig him, man. All right. So just want to say thanks, Robert, for joining the show once again. He's been on the show a couple of times now and, uh, you know, some outstanding insight into the Texas A&M 
Aggies there. I hope you Aggie fans appreciate Robert's uh, appearance there. And like I said, we got Cousin Shane lined up for the next episode. I got a line out to another interview, another guest of the show that's, that's been on before that should be highly entertaining to close the week strong. So hopefully we'll have two more shows before the week's out, before we get to SEC spring meetings down there in Destin. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.